an elderly man moved into a retirement community. And it wasn't long until he had made a number of friends among the residents. One of these friends was a lady that he was especially attracted to. And fortunately, she was attracted to him. And they spent a lot of time together. One evening, he proposed, asking her to marry him. The next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. So he went to her and said, I'm really embarrassed to admit this. But I know I proposed to you last night. I just can't remember if you said yes or no. Oh, thank goodness, she replied. I remembered saying yes to someone last night. I just couldn't remember to who it was. There are some things that are worth remembering. There are some things that we must be reminded of over and over and over again. And this morning, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing with his young co-worker named Titus. Bringing up several things that are worth remembering. We have made it to the last chapter of this letter. And as a reminder, Titus is on the island of Crete. A Roman providence known as a rough and rowdy and rebellious place. If you recall, Paul and Titus had come to the island together. But after some time, Paul had to leave for another ministry opportunity. And Titus was left behind to carry on the work. In this letter to Titus, Paul has shared both doctrinal and practical truths. Truths to help Titus and the Christians on the island to live godly lives in an ungodly place. For Paul, he had a real concern for the churches there. For how they lived their lives in a pagan culture spoke volumes to others of what they really believed. 
Paul understood that the godly behavior of believers on the island would make the gospel compelling, attractive, and hopefully provide the opportunity to share it. That was the goal. Last week, we looked at the motivation for living godly lives in an ungodly world. And Paul explained it was God's amazing grace. He began with the past, telling us that grace appeared in the flesh and saved us. Of course, he was speaking of Jesus Christ who was grace incarnate. Grace incarnate. Then Paul described grace as a force that changes us in this present age moving us farther and farther away from sin and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. But not only that, it is grace that enables us to look to the future in hope of the Lord's appearing once again. In a nutshell, It is God's grace that drives the Christian way of life. A way of life that Paul wants to see in the Cretans. So with all that said, if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and we will begin with verse 1. Titus 3, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. Remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities. To be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Let's stop there. In this passage, Paul tells Titus to constantly Remind the church of the things they already know. First being as a response, a response to God's amazing grace, they were called to be good citizens who were doing good deeds. Good citizens who were doing good deeds, which was really asking a lot for these Cretans, who were known for doing exactly the opposite. And that's the point. That's the point. 
to Paul. When God gets a hold of your life, your life will be different. God makes a difference. Grace motivates the difference. Those in the church are to be different from everyone else. And part of that difference is to be demonstrated in submission to government and civic rulers and authorities. I'm looking around, and I know that some of you cringe at that thought. I'm psychic. Some of you cringe at that thought, and so would the Cretans under Roman rule. Because sometimes the rulers and the authorities who are placed over us make it very difficult for us to submit to them. Sometimes these rulers and authorities are greedy and deceptive and corrupt. Sometimes these rulers and authorities seem inept and morally bankrupt. Oh boy, here we go. Sometimes they put unfair and unpleasant and unreasonable burdens upon people. But hear me. Paul did not say this command only applied to the good rulers and authorities. Paul did not say the government must be free of evil and corruption. Paul did not say the government must be Christian-based. And for the sake of context, keep in mind that while Paul was writing this letter, Roman Emperor Nero, who was a wicked and cruel and bloodthirsty tyrant, is on the world throne. This is the same Nero who set his own capital city of Rome on fire with people in it because he did not like it and wanted to rebuild it. And then he blamed the Christians for doing it, which set off this huge wave of severe persecution against the church. That's the terrible backdrop behind this difficult command. To submit to rulers and authorities. 
We are to submit, like it or not. Like it or not. Unless, unless it brings Christians to the point of sin against God. No human ruler or authority, whether it is in the government or even in your home, has the right to tell a Christian to sin against God. The Bible is clear on that. That's where the line is drawn. Sorry. So Christians are to be different. We are to be godly in an ungodly world, submitting to rulers and authorities, speaking slander against no one. We are to be peaceable and gentle, showing consideration to all people. We are to be good citizens, doing good deeds to benefit others. That's what Paul is saying here. And for those Christians who have a critical attitude towards others, Paul has a word for you too. In verse 3, Paul shares another thing worth remembering. He says, for we we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. In this verse, Paul tells Titus and those reading this letter that they should not be too critical of others because there was a time when they used to be like the others before they were saved. I will admit it is not easy to get angry and frustrated and impatient with people who act like foolish and selfish and hateful jerks. But let's be honest. We weren't any different before we were saved. Now maybe you're thinking, I wasn't that bad before I was saved. I think I was a pretty good person. I guess you can take that up with Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. 
should be behind me. Which speaks of the entire human race and reads, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is no one, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Unless there is something there I don't see, I don't think there are any exceptions. And as I look around the audience, I don't think anybody here is the first exception. Yes, maybe the circumstances in your life kept your behavior in check, so to speak. I get that. But when it comes to your heart, you are just like everyone else. And therefore, we should not get too frustrated when lost people act just like lost people. Duh. Because before we came to Christ, we were lost people. So we should be willing to work with those who do not know We were once just like them. So Paul has reminded us to be good citizens who do good works. He has reminded us who we were once before we came to Christ. And now Paul reminds us of our great salvation. Beginning with verse 4, he says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that... Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Just as Paul described in verse 3, we were once disobedient and deceived and enslaved to sin. There was nothing in us that was deserving of salvation. We deserved God's justice. 
We talked about it last week. We deserved God's justice. We deserved God's wrath and judgment. But, and that's a great little word to begin verse 4. But, because of God's great kindness and grace and love and mercy, He saved us. One time, D.L. Moody, you know the name? D.L. Moody saw a man beat his dog at a zoo because he was mad at him. The man had boasted about his little dog being very obedient and made a bet that the dog would do whatever he commanded. But when he tried to get the dog to do it, he wouldn't. And the man lost his bet. The man got so mad at the little dog, he beat him terribly at the zoo. Mercilessly. Finally, after the dog was wounded and bleeding and whimpering, he threw the dog into the lion's enclosure so the lion would eat him. Moody is observing all this. The poor little dog was shaking as the great lion came right over to it. The lion sniffed the little dog. And then he began to lick his wounds. And the dog laid down, and the lion laid down next to him to keep him warm. After seeing this, the man felt sorry for his dog, and he told the lion keeper to let him have his dog back. The lion keeper, who had seen this man beat his dog, said to the man, Fine, you can have your dog back. That's right. But you have to go in there and get your dog. And that's the way it is with you and me. Jesus, the great lion of Judah. The great lion of Judah in justice could have given us exactly what we deserved and devoured us. But instead, but, he rescued us and made us his very own. Jesus saved us Not because we were good, but because He is good. He is the cause for our salvation. It has nothing to do with us. It's not because of our righteousness, because there is none. 
It's not because we are lovable. It's not because of our good works. It's not because we come to church. It's not because we give. It's not because we were baptized. Because that's only a picture of salvation. It's because of the amazing grace of God and the saving faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf alone. Period. End of story. In our salvation, we were made right with God. Although guilty as guilty can be, our sin was taken by His Son and we were pardoned. No longer condemned. Jesus took it all upon himself. And by God's grace, we are declared righteous. Spiritually washed and regenerated, rebirthed and renewed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. It all speaks of the same spiritual act. We are cleansed of sin. Our bondage to sin has been broken. And now by grace we are free to live as a new creation. We are being changed from the inside out. It's a lifelong process. We are becoming different people in Christ. And it needs to show in the way we live our lives. So Paul has reminded us to be good citizens who do good works. He has reminded us of who we used to be before Christ came into our lives. Paul has reminded us of our great and gracious salvation. And now he reminds us to keep on track. To keep the main thing the main thing. Beginning with verse 9, Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a fictitious man after a first And second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and and is sinning, being self-condemned. This passage reminds us of two unfortunate things. There are divisive issues and there are divisive people. There are divisive issues and there are divisive people. Here Paul warned Titus to avoid getting caught up in foolish controversies and contentious matters which are nothing but senseless and useless rabbit trails that lead absolutely nowhere and are a complete waste of time. 
Can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Did Adam have a belly button? Where did Cain get his wife? I know it's silly. These kinds of questions produce endless speculation. And crazy enough, crazy enough, there are people who will devote their time and energy dissecting and even debating these trivial things that have no bearing in how we should live our lives. Now, I recognize, I know my examples are silly. They're ridiculous. I get that. But touching on something a little more serious, and in some respects just as ridiculous, I was talking to another pastor last week. And do you know, there are churches out there today who are still split. Split. Their people have never reconciled and recovered over the use of of a mask. That's all it took to destroy a community of believers. A simple mask. Who would have thought It wasn't some severe persecution. It wasn't some serious challenge to our core theological beliefs. It was a paper mask. That's all the enemy needed to cause a great divide amongst the churches. Instead of Christians objectively weighing the issue using sound biblical doctrine and asking, what does the Bible say about this? What is the biblical principle we should follow? They argued and bickered and quarreled with one another. Battle lines were drawn. Anger and bitterness developed between brothers and sisters. And the church was derailed from its mission because of a simple, stupid mask. And those outside the church, they saw and heard about the divisiveness occurring inside the church. And they determined they wanted nothing to do with the church. 
And who could blame them? Unfortunately, the gospel message was put on a back burner. The church caused more harm than good. And that was Paul's concern for the Christians in Crete. Titus, remember to keep on track. Remember to keep the main thing, the main thing. And don't get caught up in these foolish issues that lead to nothing but contention and divisiveness. Now when it comes to divisive people, Paul tells Titus to reject a fictitious person. After repeated warnings. Now who might that be? The Greek word for fetitious is our English word for heretic. A heretic is one who refuses to accept sound biblical doctrine and instead chooses to go their own way and believe what they want to believe. But not only that, in context, they have a personal agenda which tends to be divisive. These are the people who think they are always right They dig in their heels and it's their way or no way. And they go from person to person in the church. They go from person to person in the church to seek favor and influence. That's what they do. They seek a following. They want others to join in their agenda. They want others to be part of their little circle. And they badmouth those who are not. And in doing so, they create an us versus them environment in the church. For such a person like this, Paul says there should be repeated attempts To bring them to repentance. But if they don't, then they must be rejected. This is not a suggestion by Paul. This is a command. A command to stop associating with that person who creates divisions in church until they come to repentance. The goal is restoration. But with that said, the church has to draw the line. We don't have to be mean about it. Right? In fact, we are told to be compassionate in our discipline. But we cannot be timid either. And allow certain divisive behaviors to continue. Now, beginning with verse 12, Paul shares one more reminder. We are told 
when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. In these closing verses, Paul tells Titus to remember to remember that work requires teamwork. Here we are told that Paul was sending Artemis and Tychicus. Both are Gentiles, maybe Greek, to the island of Crete, of Crete to assume the duties of Titus and to shepherd the churches there. And afterwards, Titus was encouraged to reconnect with Paul in Nicopolis, probably located somewhere on the coast of Greece. Unfortunately, these plans were interrupted as Paul would be arrested again and sent back to Rome where he was later executed. Paul also speaks of two other team members. Zenos, who who may have either been a Jewish legal expert or a Roman lawyer. No one really knows. But as a fun fact, this is the only single time a Christian lawyer is mentioned in the Bible for what that's worth. And then there's Apollos who was a Jewish evangelist and a good friend of Paul. If you remember back in Acts, Apollos had been in Ephesus. And he was taught by Priscilla and Aquila about the way of Christ. So Zenos and Apollos are en route to the island, probably carrying this very letter to Titus. That's how it gets there. And in this letter, Paul instructed Titus to do whatever he could through the churches to help them on their journey. While in Crete, these two men must lack for nothing so they may continue their work. If you notice in verse 14, Paul begins with the words, our people. This refers to the Christians on the island. And they too had a part to play on the team. In fact, 
The whole idea behind this closing passage is that we are to work as a team together. Involved in fruitful good deeds together. Meeting the needs of others together. Ultimately, so that the lost can see in us the difference that God really makes. As I have said to you a few times in this series, we have to live like we say we believe. In the last verse, Paul closes with these words, Grace be with you all. That's a customary final greeting for Paul. But it's a reminder of God's amazing grace that changes us and motivates us to be a different kind of people. A godly people in an ungodly world who make the gospel compelling by the way they live their lives. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this this book of Titus. I thank you for your amazing grace that changes us from the inside out. It motivates us. It saves us. It gives us the ability to look forward to the future. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. We deserve your justice. But, but, in your grace, you saved us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that your grace would be seen in the way we live our lives and in the way we interact with others. Help us to be gracious just as you are gracious with us. Be honored and glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking this morning... What separates Christians from every other religion? Well, Jesus is the best. If you think about it, it's grace. It is grace that separates us from every other religion, every other cult. For every other one, somehow, some way, you have to do something, you have to earn it, you have to deserve it, you have to go through these steps. It goes on and on and on. Right? But Grace says, God's amazing grace to us separates us from every other religion in this world. Search it out for yourselves.
It's twice. God's amazing grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not understand God's grace. I was a Christian for many years. For many years. Living in the South. The Bible God. You are suiting time. Not mocking that. You had to cross your T and dot your I just right, or else. That's how I was raised. <clears throat> Everything I was doing was to somehow please God who was never happy with me. I understood God's grace when it came to salvation. Well, I understood that. But when it came to living, I did not. We are saved by God's grace and we live by God's grace. There's no other way. And maybe you're here this morning and you do not understand God's and I would love to talk with you. Maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who graciously died for you. I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're caught up in this legalistic trap. I felt like a hamster on a wheel. That's the best way to describe it. Just running on this wheel, getting absolutely nowhere, but just running and running and running because that's obviously what God wants. Just running and running and running and getting nowhere. Maybe that's how you feel. I would love to work with you because it's miserable. Absolutely miserable. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Maybe you need some prayer. I'd love to pray. How will the Lord lead you? Just respond to him. He loves you that.